This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Andrew, Craig, there are fireworks in the sky. Mm-hmm. It's the Fourth of July. Fly twice as high. Oh wait, is that one not what we're doing? Hey, take a look. It's in your yard. It's fireworks. Welcome to Overdue. <laughs> it's a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Oh, spicing it up on this yeah. America's birthday. Happy birthday, America. Tomorrow from when we release this podcast. Happy birthday, you racist old hag. Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, We are going to be talking about the book (laughs) Last Days of Summer by Steve Kluger that you read, Andrew. I did read it. Um, But first, I thought about talking to you about Fourth of July, but then I remembered that I was reading about the Minions over the weekend. Why were you... I saw you tweet about this, and I didn't want to engage you because I just thought... I felt like I needed to let it happen. I just want... First, I want to thank everybody who tweeted some sort of, like, who hurt you, like, response. Like, are you How many of those did you get? (laughs) More than one. Okay. We were... Laura and I were watching a bunch of TV over the weekend, and uh, we kept seeing ads for Despicable Me 3 in theaters now. And uh, there's a bit where she just looked at me and she goes, did that minion just say boobs? And yes, there's a minion that says, say grew con boobs, gesturing at a statue of uh-huh. what looks like grew with boobs. And I, Which one's grew? Is that Steve Carell? Yeah, he's the evil Steve Carell character. Okay. Now... It it took on new life for me when I Googled that phrase and came upon the Despicable Me 3 Jr. novel in Google Books, where, yeah, haha, Dave pointed to a statue of a woman villain, say, Grucon boobs. What so, are the minions doing? The, the novelization of Despicable Me 3 includes, like, the stage directions and all the little throwaway jokes. Uh-huh. From the minions. I that's really good. That's le, great. Le salami, Dave cried, pointing at a pig. <laughs> Apparently the the like <laughs> the minions speak like a pigeon language of like six different languages when yeah, they're not I just speaking that. gibberish. And uh-huh. all of the words that like are supposed to sound to your to your ear like normal like get dubbed differently so like i guess in china they would say uh, a different word for boobs or maybe they just say boobs i don't know yeah i mean you gotta have that noun in there so the humor really lands and i think that's what the book version really gets is that it's i don't know just the the humor of minions translates so well in the text that it's really it's surprising to me that they still choose to do Despicable Me movies and they haven't just made it into a long running like independent book series. Like independent of the movies, not like an independent publishing house. I don't know. Oh god, there might be a bunch of penguin penguin pinion minions. I'm I hate them. Banana. 
God dang it. Let's talk about this other book instead of this minion book that I am forcing upon you. So, Last Days of Summer, Andrew. Uh huh. What's the deal? I mean, it's the beginning of July right now, so we're not there yet. But uh, do you want to talk about the author, Steve Kluger, first? Do you want to talk about him? Yeah, we could talk about him. Uh, so he's a novelist. He's a playwright. Um, he has been involved in some civil rights in civil rights stuff, in gay rights advocacy, and in particular, he has worked for the redress of uh, Japanese Americans sent to internment camps during World War II. Yeah, specifically um, had so to do yeah. with the with the baseball diamond at what is that camp? Is it Manzanar? Um, uh, I think that's the name. Of yeah, it. it was it was like commemorating that baseball diamond, which is pretty cool. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's pretty cool. The thing that it's like Japanese internment wasn't yes. good. That no, was I'm bad. not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm no, I, I know. I know you're not saying that. It's just like it's a thing that that doesn't always get mentioned when we're talking about World War Two. I mean, I don't know how they teach it in schools now. I mean, it might get mentioned more than it did when we were in schools. I don't remember. I don't remember it very much. I, I don't remember when I learned that that was a thing. I feel like possibly high school probably college i don't remember a lot of the i don't remember my history classes in high school doing a real deep dive on post-world war ii like we talked about well, that's not setup. even post-world war ii that's like during oh, world sorry, war ii sorry. it's part no, of world war ii okay excuse me on america in world war ii aside from like aside from how cool the wars. we were at dropping bombs yeah on everybody. that's not d- domestic policy during world war ii not a thing i remember learning a lot about um, but yeah, and that it dovetails with like he was apparently this is back to Steve Kluger now, uh, part of efforts to like keep and preserve Fenway Park in Boston. Um, he's a big lover of baseball. This Steve, um, do you say as opposed was, to most Steves? As opposed to most Steves, did you say that he was born in 1952, Andrew? I didn't say that, but I'm glad you did. Cool. He's <laughs> okay. Uh, the, here's a thing from his childhood that is going to become relevant to this book. Uh, dude loves reaching out to celebrities, uh, and people who make like culture of any kind, like his website, which is the best website ever. It's one of those websites that got made in like the late nineties or early two thousands and has not been updated since. Yes. Steve Kluger.com. Uh, the background for the biography page is a bunch of like posters for musicals. Um, he says, Steve Kluger shook hands with Lucille Ball when he was 12. He's since lived a few more decades, but nothing much registered after that. The rest of his bio just includes m- a lot of books and movies he loves, other celebrities that he reveres. Um, and so like, there's a thing about this guy that... He really, he's thirsty before there was thirst. I think there was always thirst. I just think that <laughs> you didn't put a name to it until relatively recently. Sure. But no, he's, and, and this comes up in, in the book a little bit, but he tells stories about how he would, he would tell he would basically like he would go to plays and stuff and he would slide in a note under the door or something uh-huh. just saying, Hey, star of whatever that I'm about to see. If you have time after the show, I'd like to come back and talk to you. And this was when he was a kid. So it still probably would have been cute. I think <laughs> thirst is cuter in kids. 
than yeah. it is in adults. That's that's very true. And he, I mean, he claims that like 80, 85 percent of the time they would just be like, sure, whatever, like, come on back. Yeah. And I think we're both taking this anecdote from an interview where the preceding question was like, what are some experiences that like shaped you as a person? And he says, I wrote a bunch of letters to people in theater and got invited backstage. One time I snuck into the Tonys by pretending to be Carol Channing's son. Like, as a kid, he also wrote a letter to Madeline Lengel. And she was like, you'll probably make a good writer one day. Like, dude, dude, does he knows no bounds, which but I appreciate. That's, I don't know. That's I'm not upset, I don't think. No, no. I think it's just it's very earnest. And then when we get into the topic of this book which involves a kid writing letters to like a baseball player uh i i can see him drawing on his own life experience um so he grew up yeah he's a he's a he's a scamp he's irascible (laughs) Uh yeah that's a good word for it um Um, he grew up in baltimore moved to tarrytown new york which is how he was able to sneak down to new york city all the time um apparently he got hooked on baseball at the late age of 26 in 1978 when someone had dragged him to a baseball game and then he watched uh, Davy Lopes attempt to seal second. And it was, there's a quote from him, which I kind of like as a baseball fan. And I know that you're not, but it doesn't matter. Um, Listen, like I went to that one baseball game for your 30th birthday yeah. and they had beer there and <laughs> it was more palatable than when I went to a Cleveland Indians game with my dad. Oh. When I was like 16. <sighs> Indians no, probably are- not even 16. Indians are good now, but that's still rough. Um, that was when um, Ken Griffey Jr., is that the baseball guy? Yeah, I don't think he played for the Indians, so yeah, he was but, around. Yeah, somebody did. <laughs> I'm going to look this up. But anyway. Some junior. Yeah. Um, who played for the Indians? Who played for the Indians? You just keep going. Stop okay, me. okay. <laughs> um, but he, Maybe he's the Reds. Yes, he did play for the Reds, so you probably saw him at a Reds game. Yes. Maybe. Um, but I mean, they're he, basically the same. He was watching Davy Lopes try to steal second, and he said he saw in that moment all of the thousands of tiny decisions we're required to make every day of our lives and the risks that are inherent in each one of them. Um, yeah, I, I, I dig it. As someone who really digs baseball, I know some of our listeners do. Some of them tolerate me talking about baseball just like you do, uh, Andrew, in... The, I mean, it was I, clear who you was. Yeah. Um, I'm the only other one here. <laughs> I do, I do uh, appreciate someone getting that involved in something a little bit later. I don't know if there's something like two two or two to four years ago, four to five years ago, that I like just discovered and then became obsessed with. I don't know if that's a thing that I have. Podcasting. Yeah, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I guess podcasting, <laughs> I suppose. I mean, we're both really good at it, obviously. <laughs> Um, Susanna's gotten really into cross-stitching yeah. like, I, I don't know I like a hobby that you get into Like not late in life certainly But after that formative period Where most of your hobbies that stick with you Get get formed I guess like beer brewing we got kind yeah. of into Yeah I mean we haven't done that in like a year But we gotta do that eh. Yeah Yeah Anyway <laughs> uh, He went on to write his first novel in 1982 uh, it's called Changing Pitches. He also wrote a play called Bullpen. Uh, part of his irascible nature, he submitted them both with the information for a phony manager, and somehow it worked. Oh give boy. Me, give, the, the... Lord, give me the confidence. 
like just it is lying like i'm not i don't want to excuse i don't want to excuse just rampant lying yeah like rampant consequence free lying but if you are gonna lie literally all the time like i guess just let it be benign like let it benefit you without hurting other people most of the time yeah sure I'm a, like, I'm that's all it's for... gonna be it's something we're gonna talk about when when we're talking about my reactions to this book like it's oh, okay. all just it's all very nice oh sure okay it's all just nice okay cool uh, and so in that way it's nice to have a serial liar who doesn't actively wish anybody any particular harm <laughs> sure okay because what isn't a lie is how much he wants it that's true you know? He does want it a lot, yeah, and that's like half the battle is just like wanting it a lot. We've talked about we talk about the secret a lot on the show. <laughs> Thirsty Steve Kluger knows the secret. Mm-hmm. Uh, he then published Last Days of Summer, like six years later. Uh, he would his next in ninety eight. Yeah, um, la, his next novel is almost like being in love. Uh, and then followed by my most Which is about a gay yeah. romance, I believe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. Followed by My Most Excellent Year, which he then said like he got out of novel writing because it takes too much work to get them done and go through the whole ringer. Yeah, I have a I have a good quote from him if you want to hear it. Um, He says uh, the response to last days of summer was so overwhelming that I was convinced my mother had paid these people to write the reviews they wrote. It's been in print for 17 years, won a bunch of awards, and is now a standard part of high school and college curricula. I bring this up to underscore the fact that it took six years to sell. Nobody wanted it. They were so thoroughly put off by the unorthodox narrative style that they rejected it out of hand. Uh, Similarly, almost like being in love took three and a half years to sell, even after the success of Last Days of Summer. Um, and he goes on to say the moral here is that a proven track record doesn't seem to count for much. I wrote one more novel after that, my most excellent year. To which the identical thing happened, a full year to sell at rejections for most of the industry and eventual buyer awards, mom type reviews, etc. But after a while, the positive results aren't enough to balance out what you have to go through to get there. I gave up writing novels after that and went back to stage plays and newspaper and magazine pieces. It just wasn't worth it anymore. And so, yeah, that coupled with like he talks about his process where he'll like come up with an idea for a book and just like sort of passively take notes about it for years and years. And then something will happen that like crystallizes it and makes the entire story fit together. And then once he has that, it'll take him like a a couple of months to actually write the thing and like bang it all out. And then he's got to wait to have someone like distribute it. Right. Exactly. But like, yeah, as like my my main experience with fiction writing is D&D campaigns. But I totally (laughs) understand that thing where you're just like. You have snippets of ideas that you're just kind of writing down, and then you realize, oh yeah, this is the way to fit it together. That's not totally stupid. Mm. Now I can. Now the whole thing makes sense, and I can map it out. Sure, that's important. Listen, my D and D writing experience <laughs> is completely applicable, and I won't hear you or anybody say otherwise. Nope, that's fine. Um, it sounds like, and so from this interview that we're talking about with authors published in 2015, he's also alluded to there being a musical on the way of Last Days of Summer. I haven't, I wasn't able to corroborate that story, so hopefully it's <laughs> probably just in the works and, and it'll happen someday. He does have theater connections. He's written plays that, that'll probably happen. Um, yeah, that's, that's this guy, I think, right? 
Yeah, he, you know, he seems to ultimately harmless and mostly a force for good in the world. So good. I'm yeah. glad about that. Yeah, he's written like books. That seems like I'm just I'm in a weird space, <laughs> like headspace <laughs> this weekend. That's okay. no, but that's we. I don't know that there's a like hook to hang our hat on in terms of where this guy fits. When the book was recommended to us, and then we mentioned that we were reading it, a lot of people seemed really excited, but not I have yet to find a like oh this book changed this in the industry or this guy's like really important for these things it's like he's a solid dude who did some stuff yeah or even like a like a jonathan saffron ford type narrative yeah he's like the next great novelist or whatever he just like he wrote a few books that a lot of people like he is he is completely unpretentious about it (laughs) that's true which is kind of refreshing yep and he's and, and he writes yeah. in like USA Today and a bunch of magazines to like make his living. So like bunch of dad magazines. Do just go do this guy a favor and check out his website. It's the best. SteveKluger.com. <laughs> Andrew, let's talk about the book, but maybe take a break first. Andrew, sometimes we're lucky enough to have our supporters. Our Patreon supporters uh, support the show <laughs> in such a way Is that, how you that we get to uh, pimp their stuff on air. Um, so Sean, who's one of our Patreon supporters, has written a book. And because of the tier of support that he's given us, he uh, asked us to talk about it. And we're going to do that now. So, Andrew, his book is called... Just smooth. It's just so smooth. Yeah. His book is called uh, Don't Look the Bastards in the Eye. It's by Sean McKay. And it is an e-book that's available on the Amazon store. It might be available elsewhere, but Amazon is the place to go for it. So, Andrew, you have a list of things that you're going to tell me about the book. Now he has he we asked for some copy to read and he provided us helpfully a list of bullet points and I'm just gonna run down them because <laughs> I think it pretty much it paints a picture. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, so he says um, about the book, there are a lot of swears in the book. It's probably technically a novella, which means you're not gonna sink a lot of time into it. So okay. that's good. Um, it's about monsters and how we are flawed humans. It's about a guy whose friend murders somebody. It's loosely based on a true story. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, no. (laughs) I hope the statute of limitations is up. Um, It's not about zombies, even though one reviewer thought it was because the word is mentioned once in the book. So I've made that mistake. Um, It's about the inner thoughts that we have but never share with anyone. I am, have a podcast, so I don't have those anymore. <laughs> um, it's kind of like a Twitter feed attached to a very flawed human's brain, so like a Twitter feed. <laughs> and uh, it's probably best summed up by the blurb on Amazon. You want to read that real quick? Which, no. Okay. Well, it's I'm there. Good. I'm good. <laughs> I'll read that. How about this? I'll read the end of it. In the okay. vein of Brett Easton Ellis by way of William S. Burroughs, Don't Look the Bastards in the Eye asks, What is a monster and would you know if you were it? Sex, drugs, rock, death, and a man who can't eat turkey, turkey properly await in the pages of this book. So I. It has everything. It, it does. Like. And I have a list of facts about Sean that he included for us to read. Uh, I, I'm speaking as Sean now. I've been a public servant for longer than I care to admit. I've got a master's in international relations, but also studied theology, computer science, and applied linguistics. 
I like nerd things, but don't really like interacting with other people who like those things. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> I am annoying to go to the movies with. That's mm-hmm. me. <laughs> kind of dovetails. Uh, I think Infinite Jest and 2666 are tied for greatest novel of the past 30 years, but I can't bring myself to read either of them again. Uh, I tell people my favorite band is Radiohead, but gun to my head, it's probably Weezer. And listen, I have two opposite and equally bad reactions to each of those <laughs> selections. So, <laughs> so this, if Sean sounds cool or if his book sounds cool, you should probably go check it out. Uh, I think you should. Don't look the bastards in the eye over at Amazon. It's by Sean McKay. That's M-A-C-K-A-A-Y. I mean, his name's on the book cover, so I assume it's okay to to give him his last name. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's two ninety nine. Go check it out. Should we have a tagline for him? Like, what's a good tagline? Um, it's probably technically a novella. That's a good one. <laughs> Play ball, Andrew. It's time to talk about the book. It's about baseball. It's baseball, right? It's a baseball book. It's, I mean, baseball's involved, but I wouldn't call it a baseball book. Hmm. It's not a Matt Christopher book, is what you're saying. No, it's not a Matt Christopher book, which is too bad. But I mean, (laughs) but it's it's still pretty good. Like, I know that it's hard to imagine a non Matt Christopher book being any good at all, but it's pretty good. Okay, so podcast over. Um, okay, but let's, good. Let's do our post credit. Let's do our thirty minute post credit sequence where you tell me what happened in the book. Sure. Okay. So uh, there's this guy. There's this kid, not a guy, a kid named <laughs> Joey Margolis. <laughs> Joey Margolis. Okay. I finally, Let's... we finally, all the names in here are just easy pitches straight over the plate. <laughs> to use a baseball metaphor. Okay. What's, what's slam him out of the park? What's Joey Bats's deal? Joey Margolis is a he's a twelve year old kid who's who's moved into this Italian neighborhood and he's a Jewish kid. Okay, and it's, what, it's when like does this 19, take place? Like nineteen thirty nine, nineteen forty. Okay, so we're talking we're talking old times. That seems old like times. a fraught situation. Yeah, so he's he's Joey's got some troubles. Okay. One of his troubles is he gets picked on at school. Um, another of his troubles is that he doesn't super fit in in his neighborhood, like he doesn't have a lot of friends. And the third of his troubles is that his parents are divorced, and his dad is basically not in his life. Okay, is that a recent occurrence, or is that a whole life thing? Um, it's relatively recent. I think like he's Joey is old enough, and I assume had enough of a relationship with his father before. That he knows to be like really disappointed in his dad all the time. Okay, good. Yep, sure. Because his dad out. just like basically does not interact with him at all. Okay. Do you? And he's he's sure. like remarried and he's off. And Joey lives with his his mom and his aunt. Okay. Cool. And he doesn't like he gets he's getting beat up by kids at school and he's just not telling them about it. And he's getting in some trouble at school. Like his grades are really good, but his I don't know his. His teachers don't think he pays enough attention, and he's really worried about Hitler. And he, oh God! And he pees in the reservoir. Can okay? Can you unpack the reservoir thing? Because you tweeted something about this. I did tweet about it. Then I needed to, to double check which 
like book titled Last Days of Summer we were reading, and I did it by Googling that phrase and the title <laughs> of the book, and it worked out really well. So like, Listen, I what assume, is like, I steal? guess I was looking at our, our Patreon spreadsheet, and you just wrote Last Days of Summer. Like, you need to put the author name in there, by the way. I, did, I could have told you about this. <laughs> like back channel but you need to put the author in there so i know i'm getting the right book that's fine Um, so i hope i'm getting the right book you are getting the right book thanks lou for recommending this book so there is a there's a tweet that i sent out like a screenshot one of many pages in this book that just says over and over and over again i must not pee in the reservoir (laughs) now what is the deal with the reservoir the deal i mean there's not much of a deal with the reservoir other than that it establishes joey as a kid who is troubled okay but it is Is it also like writing on a chalkboard it's it's like so the deal with the book and part of what we talked about when we were talking about steve old steve's trouble selling it is it's an epistolary novel but it's like it's very fragmentary like it's you it's multiple like letters and lots of correspondence between lots of different people that tells a story chronologically but from many different viewpoints and And like and like mixed media yeah well not even mixed media but like just yeah i guess you get some telegrams in there and you get some letters between joey and his friend who that who are using i think like a a decoder book or something to like send messages in code. Okay. Um, that's cool. But yeah, like it's like every letter forward and, and you get some in the form of like a transcript of an interview that he's having with a psychologist who he's seeing, I think as, as a result of some of his troubles. Okay. Um, some are like letters from his teacher to his mom. Um, some are like every once in a while you get a letter from his aunt to somebody like it's every letter like it, it moves the story forward, but also there is enough of a handoff and enough of an overlap. Like not not every letter is directly responding to the previous one, but but it's a like, it's a chapter break. It's or it's a not scene even that. Like they're or... they're often they're usually only a couple of pages long. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so so there is like a lot of the times they're they're handing off like one letter is obviously in response to the previous one, or like one is retelling something that happened in one letter but like from a different perspective and like giving you more details and you sort of have a little bit of wiggle room to debate what is true because like steve kluger joey margolis (laughs) is a lying liar who lies all the time so these letters though so things that are not like telegrams or like newspaper clippings like who is he writing to or who 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 is writing to whom so there is this fictional third baseman for the new york giants okay named uh charlie banks that's a good baseball name that's good it's a pretty good baseball baseball name um joey is a fan and he starts he he like calls this the the hall of records basically where charlie lives and like talks to this person and pretends to be a relative like trying to find his like trying to find Charlie and she is very sympathetic. And so gives Joey Charlie's address. And then Charlie starts writing all these letters saying like, Oh, I'm a sick kid. Oh, I'm like blind or something. (laughs) And it would be, it would just totally fix my entire life. If you would knock one out of the park for me and just say, this one's for my pal, Joey Margolis. And preferably you would do it on the radio 
and it would just make it would just make my day. So he writes a couple letters to Charlie like this. He writes one to Charlie's girlfriend Hazel, where she, he's basically saying, "Yeah, I'm a sick kid, and your boyfriend won't do this thing that I want Yo, him to do." Joey. And so there are a few letters from Joey to Charlie that go unanswered, and then eventually, like I think after the girlfriend one, Charlie writes a letter to Joey. Where he's like, listen, kid, listen, punk. I don't know how you found my address or any of this stuff. And you're lying all the time. And stop writing me letters. Stop it. Huh. I have never written. I don't think I've ever written a letter to someone in that way. I don't. I can't think. You never written like a fan letter or anything? I don't know that I've ever written a fan letter. Like not to a spe- like to an institution, to a specific person, like you never wrote anything. I don't know. I, I might have talked about this on air. I I once wrote a letter to Kellogg's cuz they got a dinosaur fact wrong on a cereal box, but like <laughs> that's a different that's not a fan letter. That's a correction. Put it in the correction box. I got a couple stories. Oh, I got, well, one that Susanna likes to tell me that I like is she was in, she was she was in like fifth grade, and there was this school dance that they did every year, or like this little party slash dance thing, and every year they would have it, and they would have all these balloons, mm-hmm. like tons and tons of balloons, and because it was the like early nineties, and we were all still basically in agreement about how like preserving the environment would be good, probably. <laughs> uh huh. Um, like environmentalism was a big thing. And so she sent this letter to her principal that was like, I don't like, we shouldn't have all these balloons. Like it's bad for the environment. Okay. And so one day she gets called to the office Uh oh. and she's like really scared because she's never been to the office before because she's a goody two shoes and look how great she is. Um, <laughs> and the principal comes out and he says, Hey, Suzanne, don't worry. You're not in trouble. We're not going to have all these balloons at the thing. It's because of that letter that you wrote. And he was like trying to give her a lesson about, about like affecting, like how individuals can affect change. That's heartwarming. So I like that one. And then I like on the other end of the spectrum, I'm writing letters to Nintendo of America, trying to get them to bring new Dragon Quest games <laughs> from Japan to America. They're not allowed to use any of your ideas, Andrew. Like, it's well, legally... I did. I did also send them a game proposal once, including a tape that I recorded both sides of that was all about the game. I'm like, sending them. Wait, did you send them a podcast? I didn't send basically? them a podcast. It was a, it was a tape that I I don't remember if I recorded on my Talkboy tape recorder, which I definitely did have, <laughs> or if I'd use or if I'd use my mom's boombox that also had an integrated mic. Yes. Um Okay. Yeah, I I drew up I wrote up this whole proposal and drew like pictures and everything and then I recorded my pitch on both sides of a double-sided uh-huh. cassette tape That's a good and pitch. sent it in. And I mean, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before. I, I've got to imagine that somebody kept it and it's still somewhere. Oh, and I'll what? find it after my parents go crazy and I have oh to like go through God. all their stuff and sell their house. But like it yeah. came back to you? Do you yeah, think it came it's back a- because they were like, we can't keep this and oh, we're not, and we're, man. and we're so happy that you sent, this to us but we can't keep it and we don't want it and we gotta find it andrew yeah i know i know all right after we gotta finish this podcast first but then we're gonna but then plan we're gonna a heist. go find it <laughs> okay so he, so uh charlie writes back to him is like yo kid leave me alone 
And Joey, like, and so this begins a ping-ponging back and forth of correspondence where Joey is basically insulting him and Charlie's insulting him back and threatening not to write back anymore. Wow. And eventually, like, it comes out that Joey's getting beat up at school. And so Charlie, like, comes and he, and he threatens this kid, like, stop beating, stop beating him up. Like, just mm. but not like a, not in a creepy adult threatening a kid way, but in like a... I'm a f- baseball man. figure. Yeah, sure. It, yeah. And like an intimidating celebrity. Yeah. Okay. Giving you a talking to. Like if Mario so, Lopez showed up to defend your kid. Yeah. Like if Mario Lopez showed up to defend your kid. Like not in a mean way. Mario Lopez is a nice guy, but he's also ripped. So Joey and yeah, Joe, they strike up this correspondence and, and Charlie like starts to begrudgingly and without even really wanting to becoming a sort of father figure for for Joey and their relationship is is prolonged temporarily because Joey has Charlie's girlfriend Hazel mad at him because Hazel thinks that Charlie was like mean to a sick kid <laughs> and okay. Charlie's basically like you have to tell her that you lied you little <laughs> punk this is good. I like. And this. so yeah, and so he like he is now friends with with a baseball Charlie's player. girlfriend Hazel also. Okay. And, and yeah, and it's it becomes this thing where where Joe like Joey's dad's not going to be at his bar mitzvah, and so Charlie, despite being a Protestant and sort of making the rabbi mad by calling him a rabbi r a b b y over and over again. Oh no, he like. He devotes himself to like learning the section of the Torah that he has to read and helping Joey memorize his section. And he takes Joey on the road with the Giants as like a bat boy. And there's another like a secondary player on the Giants team named Stuke who he makes friends with. And like and Joey obviously is a handful, but he's also super smart and he grows on a lot of people. Um, some of the letters that you get are from FDR's press secretary that are that's writing back to Joey being like, thanks for what you have to say about world affairs. Like, I assure huh. you that everything is fine. But Joey seems to like have a he seems to be really prescient about what's what going to go down. To. Yeah. Like what's yeah. going up with the war. And, and I don't know. And that's and that's like pretty much that's most of the book is just Joey. And Charlie forging this relationship where Charlie sort of helps Joey like grow up a little bit. How does Joey help Charlie though? Because like Joey makes Charlie like he makes him. And there's there's a letter from Hazel that talks about how Charlie like he would you know he would get into fights and they would like be on again and off again. But like knowing Joey made him like more responsible and more empathetic and and more like caring sure i guess as sure. a person is there, um okay like let's so there this is fairly early in their relationship it's just it's this contract that they wrote but i i think like the, a it's friend the, contract it, well it's like the terms for joey going on the road with the giants is, oh, okay. is charlie begrudgingly being like listen if you're gonna be on the road with me like you gotta do all this stuff and if okay. i'm like if i'm gonna help you with your bar mitzvah like we've got to do all this stuff <laughs> so term number nine of this agreement is you will always remember that you are probably somebody very special i do not know this for a fact yet but nobody ever made me strike out four times before because <laughs> he was just thinking about 
like Joey was bugging him so much that he was striking out. Um, He is writing to Hazel. He says, um, what is it? Um, This is the Aunt Carrie, uh, Joey's Aunt Carrie. She had enough instructions to build a B-17 bomber and then finished by telling me that if I did not keep him away from the bad element, let it be on my head. What a laugh. He is the bad element. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So Um, our our good friend Steve's got a sense of humor. Yeah, it's it's pretty funny. And, And he does this interesting thing where he leaves in like spelling errors and stuff. Like it's obvious that Charlie is... Um, he doesn't have as as much like book learning as okay, some people because sure. he's like a baseball player, like whatever. He doesn't need to know how to spell every word or yeah, who Emily Bronte is or or any of that stuff. Um, he and they like they have character traits that get brought up again and again. Like Charlie does not like FDR. Oh, interesting. Oh, <laughs> and he okay. Calls him like a chowderhead. Oh no. Not in like a, a super malevolent way, but just in a, you know, those idiots in Washington sort of oh, way. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Um, so, yeah, like that that is most of the book. It's just their relationship. And, and, and Kluger does a good job like telling you, like you, you read letters from each person. Like you read interactions that each person like Joey and Charlie both have with enough different people that you get a sense of yeah are like there... how that like who they are as people and like how they react to things as people it's not just like a there are a couple of very cute letters where joey and charlie are on the road and they're both writing a letter to hazel and it's like alternating like <laughs> bold and not bold text so you know who's writing that's cool okay yeah it's 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 clever it's interesting it's, are there um, other it's... characters that illuminate like the time period that they interact with at all. Hazel is always in a feud with Ethel Merman. Okay. <laughs> Ethel Merman is another singer. Yeah. Uh-huh. Who is on who is on the circuit at the same time and they're always fighting for gigs and she's always she hates Ethel Merman. Okay. <laughs> Anything else? With, <laughs> sure. Anything well, I mean, else with ta- like World War II? You, and you talk about World War II a lot. Like it like FDR comes a, up a lot. Current events come up a lot. Um, I don't know if I want to spoil the the story because of like of this book. Of course, it's like a little bit emotionally manipulative. It's it's not it's not I, a complex book. Sure, I, don't I, w- think. I am. I hear that. Uh, the phrase "emotionally manipulative," I initially bristle at that because I feel like it can be a. Re- it can be reductive. I know you're not it's saying like, it to to knock the book explicitly. Well, so here here's what like from my perspective, there are two kinds of emotionally manipulative, right? There's emotionally manipulative in an unearned, like naked, cynical way, and there is emotionally manipulative in an I know what this is doing to you. You saw it coming a hundred pages ago. But nevertheless, it was pretty well done and it was earned. And so you're going to feel it. Yeah, I just I want to make sure that when it's actually just like pretty good storytelling that isn't surprising from a formalist perspective or like doing something crazy innovative uh, that it just gets its due. No, that's no, that's right. Like that's a more (laughs) 
accurate and probably charitable way to describe like it. Like it's actually just like the craft is decent. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it is. Okay. But so there's other there are other like characters or other stories that relate that you that pack of slightly more emotional punch that you don't want to ruin. Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Like the last probably twenty percent of the book I don't I don't wanna get into but it but yeah it it dives more into the war stuff it dives into joey and charlie's relationship it dives into just a lot of dad stuff oh okay like on on charlie's end too because his dad it turns out was a really bad guy hmm. and so like in his in his mentoring of joey like he doesn't even really have a great dad template to go off of sure sure but by the by like the same token he does understand how helpful and how important it can be for a kid that age to have a strong paternal oh, sure. figure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, and that's, and I imagine that's something you can relate to. I don't know that we like, did you have any sort of no like, like teachers or coaches yeah. or anything that you looked up to who were sort of like, yeah. maybe not this involved in your life, but oh, who sort of yeah. like filled there, a mean, void in that way. Not in a, not in, ways that really hit like a personal not not no one i was really going to with personal stuff like a lot of teachers for the various things that i did or activities i did in high school were men like Mm -hmm. uh in particular my band teacher who was basically like mr feeney like he was our band teacher (laughs) he was the guy who taught me trumpet in elementary school moved to middle school with us and then moved to high school with my class so like i had him the entire time he was a really good guy Mm -hmm. um and then like had an english teacher or two who as like also did drama and so then you're just like spending extra time with those people um but also didn't have like my mom never remarried or anything like that so you didn't didn't even have like a stepdad experience which is its own can of worms um yeah those can be not great (laughs) well and and i've seen them be the like that really like frustrating mix of like really good in a long-term way and in a like this person does care about you but like stormy in a in a you're not my dad sort of short-term way yeah a, a huge massive change at the exact moment when someone is like the least equipped to deal with change yeah well yeah and, and that can be even messier if if your actual dad is still in the picture like I, yeah. I can see making room for a stepdad being a little bit easier if they are filling a void and not like jockeying yeah. for the mm-hmm. same basic position in your in your brain yeah so does does joey's dad like appear at all he is not involved okay yeah because that that certainly changes that dynamic um that's mostly my experience um certainly after high school uh, sure. and even into high school and that would have been different if it was a like how do we balance these things like no you're gone just go away <laughs> like yeah, that's nothing different... nothing to balance it's fine yeah. i'm on the seesaw by myself and yeah. i'm gonna make it work sure <laughs> oh, that's a weird sad I thing my, i made myself sad <laughs> are there any other uh as we kind of close out on this book i think um are there modes of text aside from letters that you thought were particularly clever or interesting you get some newspaper headlines you get telegrams every once in a while like some of the books bigger emotional punches are delivered via telegrams where you're reading like it's this it's a short message sort of truncated like stop in between sentences and it like it 
it makes it makes those moments like hit really hard just because of how short and like terse they are. And they're that's like delivering news. Yeah, usually. often and like yeah. and and you and they're short enough that you like go back and read them a couple times just to like totally let it sink in. Yeah, and that creates a and lot. Like of really like, appreciate the moment. Yeah, that creates a lot of negative space in your brain to like imagine what the reader is the 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 in fiction reader of that telegram is experiencing or or whatever and that's that's a cool way to do it when the other like driving force of the language in the book is like the person writing the letter to to have it be a telegram even just hearing it right now like i implicitly am now thinking of the reader as opposed to the person who's writing it does that make sense you know what i mean like, yeah yeah um because especially in, I like, mean, because because it, it's the like the economics of telegrams is like you had to pay for every word you were gonna send. What and a so mess! So you as the yeah, <laughs> God, it's like it's like SMS texting oh, from like God. ten years ago, but it's you had to really carefully pick the words you're gonna send to for like maximum impact and also maximum clarity. And so yeah, word choice becomes really interesting and important in a way that is not necessarily in a letter well and and you trace that even like now it, people don't think about it the same way for emails etc you that's uh, old media yeah no, now every like you can put in as many words as you want which is why everybody ends emails with stuff like thoughts <laughs> I hate, and oh. and best dot 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 I love not, emails. Not that, dot, 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 I love emails with ellipses. They God, wear me out. I don't know what they end mean. In a, in, end in ellipses. <laughs> I don't know what um, they mean. I guess I'll close with this this sort of capsule of their relationship. And their relationship is the it's the heart of the book. It's very sweet. I think you in particular would like this book a lot. Cool. And I think a lot of our our listeners would like it too. But he has been Joey's been tasked with writing this letter about like what if your dad was the president ah and it's a sort of letter i really don't think you get away with assigning now i don't know yeah because you have to like pick an adult yeah like with like between if you're talking about like like gay marriage and divorces and like the millions and millions of different I mean, probably not like literally millions, but like all the different family situations you can have. You're you're we are well past the point, I think, where even conservatively you would assume like, oh, a mom and a dad. And what if your dad was the president? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think at a certain point you divorce rates alone would make you. Like, yeah. Like the 80s probably killed this <laughs> particular flavor of oh, essay. God. But um. So Joey writes this this essay called If Charlie Banks Were President. Um, I know this is supposed to be about fathers, but mine hasn't called me since my birthday. And that one was from his secretary, Molly. So even if he did get elected president, I'd probably have to read about it in the papers just like everybody else. But you know what? It's OK. And I can tell you why. Uh, number one, when I was getting beaten up by bullies just because I was Jewish, which, as you know, is the same thing Hitler, the Hitler boys are doing in Europe. Charlie Banks was the one who came to Brooklyn and made them stop. Uh, number two, when I almost couldn't have a bar mitzvah because my father wouldn't come, Charlie Banks was the one who learned the Torah with me, even though he is a Protestant and would not know Hebrew from a barn wall or a hole in the ground or Adam or etc. 
Uh, number three, when my mom didn't have enough money to send me to a summer camp that wasn't restricted to Christians, Charlie Banks was the one who made me a bat boy for the New York Giants and took me on the road with them. Uh, number four, whenever I do something I shouldn't do, like fib or not study or talk like a big mouth, Charlie Banks is the one who tells me to knock it off. And in case you think I'm making any of this up just because he's famous, I have witnesses. If you want, you can ask my principal or my mother or Hazel McKay, the singer, who is also famous. That's why I think I should be allowed to get Charlie into the White House instead of my father. After all, the Constitution says that everybody has the same rights, including me and Charlie. And that's the law. Hmm. If Charlie Banks were president, the Nazis would have been gone a long time ago, not from getting popped in the mouth, even though Charlie could do that, too, but from going to Germany himself with the police and the army and throwing Hitler and Goebbels and Goring in jail until all of the Jews got to take off their yellow stars and the lights went back on in London so Edward R. Murrow could come home and get a job. Then Charlie would find an old man with a white beard like von Hindenburg to run Germany the right way while Hitler cleaned toilets and made license plates. If Charlie Banks were president, he wouldn't have time for biscuit heads like Father Coughlin or Representative Rankin who think just because the Declaration of Independence was written by white guys like Jefferson and Button Gwinnett, nobody else should get in on the deal too. Instead, he would go in front of Congress to make a new law, and if any of them gave him a hard time about Negroes or Orientals or whoever, he would point his finger and say, you and you and you, get out. Then when they were gone, he would tell the rest of them, now let's have a bill. If Charlie Banks were president, kids wouldn't get beaten up anymore because all they would have to do was mail a letter to the White House and Charlie would send Cordell Hull or Frank Knox or Henry Stimson, Stimson to wherever the boy lived so they could say to the bullies, hey, you better cut it out unless you want the president to come here himself. And they would stop because they know that Charlie would do it. If Charlie Banks were president, Mrs. Roosevelt would never have to go into the coal mines again because Charlie would just shut them all down until they were safe. And if Charlie Banks were president, kids without fathers would know that they still had somebody to take them to places like Steeplechase and Luna Park and to yell at them whenever they had it coming. That's why I would vote for President Banks. And like, that's the thing. That's like the most heartwarming version of of Chuck Norris facts that I've ever heard. That, and that's that I had I didn't even talk about like Charlie not Charlie um Joey has a friend who's a Japanese American kid who moves out west to like be with like the family moves out west to be with another part of the family and then they all get sent to an internment camp and so mm. that kind of dovetails with um Kluger's interest in that in that topic but yeah there's a whole section where the book kind of like it where it just interfaces with that where i think a lot of books set in world war 2 would kind of focus more on the rah rah like well and it, it that's a in america amazing yeah that and that's a cool turn to take because it in context it makes utter sense that this like baseball story might brush up against that um that's a, like a, a sh- the two primary baseball playing cultures are japan and america and it's like it's part of history and that that is an unfortunate the internment camp situation is a thing as you said that we don't talk about enough but like is very organic to a story set in this time period yeah um and i'm yeah that's cool all right yeah this sounds like a cool book yeah i mean i i know that that's one of the weaknesses of this show and we get we talk about it sometimes is if the other of us talks about a book that we think is really interesting <laughs> it's hard it's hard to make the space to read it but yeah, uh, maybe maybe that's like a future bonus episode or something where, like, some one of us picks a book the other one read that they wanted to actually read for themselves, and we see if there's anything else to talk about. I don't know. Yeah, we could probably do that, or some like that, like get some of that double dipping in. Do like a double feature on it, maybe. Mm, sure, sure, sure. Be possible. 
Um, I am a little, I'm just like only a tiny bit disappointed that the book doesn't overlap with a bunch of cool stuff that happened with the New York Giants in the early 50s. But that's just baseball Craig being disappointed. No, I mean, we so, can, you can tell me about that later, preferably like while I'm doing something else. <laughs> Preferably so I can ne- like I can like I can at least be engaged with something. Preferably while never. I sure. half listen to you tell me this thing about the Giants. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> if anyone else wants to tell Andrew baseball facts, uh, they Just should don't. use. Don't worry about it. They should use our social media channels to tweet him uh, your favorite baseball facts. Mm. Uh, you can use Facebook.com/slash/overduepod or Twitter.com/slash/overduepod. Um, we also have an email. It's overduepod at gmail.com. So I want to thank Cheyenne, Cindy, Sophie, Leanne, uh, Starfish Chick, Jillian Lee, definitely R.A., Glenn, Lucas, Graham, Melissa, Ryan, uh, Rasheen Machine, Charlotte, <laughs> Becky, Grace, Fox, Radiant Fracture, Aaron, Mary, Kate, Catherine, Rachel, Rob, and Diana, all of whom reached out to us this week. Thanks so much, folks. Go to our website that Andrew's going to tell you about. I messed it up. Andrew, tell him about the website. <laughs> our website that craig mentioned is overduepodcast.com up there we've got links to itunes google play stitcher rss those are all ways you can subscribe to the show and get new episodes when they come out every monday if you do subscribe in itunes or i guess apple Podcasts, it's called now uh do rate and review us it helps us rise in the rankings it makes us feel good at least when you leave good ones it makes us feel good yeah like come on the good um, ones <laughs> yeah good ones um, we've also got links to our Patreon project. We've got Amazon links to the books that we have read and are going to read. I think our July schedule will end up going up. It's up with with this episode. Is it up on it's the up. website? Oh, it's not on the website, but it's, yeah. it's up uh, on social media. Gotcha. I only handle the social media. <laughs> God, fine. <laughs> Somebody will put the books up on the website. And if you want to read along with us, you can you can click and buy them on Amazon and we get a little bit of a cut of that it helps defray our hosting costs and support the show. Um, we've also got links to HeadGarm, our podcast network and Spreaker, our podcast host. And I think that's everything. Craig, what are you reading next week? And do I'm, we want to talk about July at all? Or are we good? Well, no, they'll find out. I'm reading The Nerd <laughs> by Larry Shu. I'm also reading... Uh, the Miss Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, or the Secret of Nim, uh, for our Boston live show, July fifteenth. If there's still tickets to that, I'm surprised. Go get them. There are like two or three. Bit.ly/slash/overduehotties. So go there. If you want to come to that show, like do it now because we're about out, and there are not any more after these. Go so. Or please come see us in Philadelphia, July twenty third, five p.m. at the Kitchen Table Gallery as part of Philly Podfest. PhillyPodfest.com for more information. Andrew's going to read Anne of Green Gables. I am. I'm going to read all about Anne and her Green Gables. That's it. Mm-hmm. Next week, we'll see ya. Bye. Try to be happy, I guess. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>